And welcome back to the Locked On Marlins podcast, and welcome back to Earth a little bit after the Marlins drop two in a row. Not too concerned about it. They played pretty well in both those games. Some little mistakes here and there, which I'll talk about. I'm going to talk about maybe some adjustments that might need to be made in the lineup. And finally, a quick little preview of the upcoming series against the Toronto Blue Jays. So let's talk about the last couple games here where the Marlins dropped two. They did not play poorly by any means. They were still able to hit the ball. They put up some runs on DeGrom, made DeGrom work. I thought it was encouraging to see that the Marlins could make him work, especially when Aguilar hit that two-run bomb. He continues to have a power stroke this season, which the Marlins really needed badly, as we know. And that was something that the Marlins were hoping to be able to add in the offseason. They do just that with Dickerson and Aguilar. Unfortunately, Dickerson has not quite gotten going yet, though I do like the at-bats he's been having. I think it's just a matter of time until he gets going again, because you got to keep in mind that the time off and the weird seasons I've mentioned in the past is a little bit different for everybody. Everybody's affected a little bit differently by the time off, but if there's one thing that Corey Dickerson has always done, it's hit. He just hits, and I don't think that this is anything different where at 31 years old, he's going to forget how to hit the baseball. He was great last year. He looked good in spring training, and he, he looks good now. I don't think the at-bats look bad at all. It's just one of those things where he's getting a little bit unlucky. He's hitting balls right at guys, and he's still putting together some good at-bats. Not anything too alarming. He is hitting 230. He has punched out nine times in 38 plate appearances, but let's see what happens now as they start to get rolling and have played a lot of consecutive games. I was a little bit disappointed with that ball that Dickerson dropped in the outfield. It looked like he got handcuffed there, but it's going to happen. He is an interesting case as an outfielder because he did win that gold glove with Pittsburgh in 2018, but I wouldn't say he's a gold glove caliber outfielder. Sometimes you have those fluky seasons, and then you have outfielders that are phenomenal out there like Lorenzo Cain, who took forever to win his gold glove. So gold gloves are a fairly strange uh, accolade for me. I don't really judge a fielder completely based on the amount of gold gloves that he has netted. That's a whole different conversation that we'll have another time. But overall, Dickerson's a fine outfielder. Not too worried about it. He's a great hitter. Not too worried about it. He should be fine. There's some other things that I am worried about, though, and I'll get into that. You know, it's not always going to be sunshines and rainbows, as we know, and as you know, as a Marlins fan. It's just never been that way consistently. And I do like to remain pretty positive because there's enough negative coverage of the team in general, and there's so many positive things to focus on, no matter what the situation is. At the same time, I don't want to just stand here and clap like a seal because I feel like I owe it to you as a listener to be honest and to be critical of this team so that we know what to look for, we know who is doing what, and we don't make excuses for players that don't deserve excuses. And that is Jonathan VR right now, who does not deserve an excuse. I was pretty critical of him on Twitter, and I'd say most people agreed. I did get a little blowback, but that's just Twitter as it is. And the thing is, I am fine if you're in a slump. If you are struggling to hit the ball with Jonathan VR is struggling to hit the ball right now. I don't even care about that. He's hitting 195 and I don't care about that. That's not what my gripe is. My gripe is if you're hitting 195 yet you're still swinging in 3-0 counts when your team is behind. He did it once. He pops up and that's inexcusable. In a 3-0 count, you need to get on top of the baseball. If you hit a ground ball, I'd be less angry. 
you're trying to drive the ball. Also, he swings 3-0 again, and he whiffs at a breaking ball in basically in the dirt. That is just beyond, 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 beyond inexcusable. Because if you're deciding to get the green light 3-0, which I'm okay with from time to time, and it also really depends on the hitter. But if VR is locked in, I'll give him the green light 3-0. You can use the argument the other way and say he's slumping, give him the green light 3-0, it might be the best pitch he's going to see. Well, he didn't get the best pitch to see. He swung at a breaking ball in the dirt. Also, if I'm struggling at the plate, I don't want to swing 3-0, especially when my team's behind. It's because if you pop that up, if you miss that, you're just going to stifle your confidence even more. You have a hitter's count there. See one more pitch. You're at 3-1 and one after that with men on base. You're going to get a pitch to hit, and you got to just see another pitch go over the strike zone and time everything up. But the thing is, I don't want him just bailing these pitchers out, especially in certain situations where the pitchers were struggling, they were on the ropes, and he bails them out. And that's just something you cannot do, especially after you make that mistake once to make it again. I just don't know. I don't know if that's something that's been talked about with Don Mattingly or with the hitting coach or with Rousen and where they say, you got the green light, Jonathan. Swing 3-0 whenever you want. If they do, I think that's a mistake on the coaching side too, especially considering the fact that he's hitting 195 with a 244 on base percentage. Let the guy get on base any way he can and make a struggling pitcher throw you two straight strikes. And the beautiful thing is you can take a hack at that second strike if it's over the strike zone. If it's not, take your walk because at this point, if I'm Jonathan VR, I'd be happy with the walk. It's not just those two swings though. He gets picked off. He drops a routine fly ball that was back in the Phillies series. And these are things that, to me, it comes off as lackadaisical. It comes off as a little bit selfish. And I know I'm being a little bit harsh on VR, but there's a reality of the reason why a player as athletic and as toolsy as he is, is being let go left and right. He was let go from the Orioles to the Marlins, of course. I know that, that it was financially motivated to a degree, but after the season that he had, you can make the case that the Marlins ended up getting him for cheaper through arbitration than they thought it would be. The Orioles could have had a shot for it to be cheaper. I don't think money was really the main catalyst behind this. I think it was just one of the things that factored into the decision. VR is a great pickup for the Marlins. I don't want to make it seem like he's this detriment to the team, but I'm going to be extra hard on a guy that was supposed to be the focal point of this team. I, again, it's really hard given the circumstances to be hitting the ball well right now. That's why Dickerson's struggling a little bit. I'm not worried about it. If VR was just struggling to hit the ball, I wouldn't be worried. It's fine. Everybody is going to struggle with these situations and the circumstances. Some of the best hitters in baseball are struggling. Look at Christian Yelich. Look at Cody Bellinger. Look at the start that Pete Alonzo had. It's just a weird situation. But the mental mistakes are going to drive me nuts. And VR is just one of those players where he doesn't have a set position as is. He's not very good in the outfield. He's not great at shortstop. He's okay at second base. So you don't really know where to put him to get the most value defensively. If anything, I guess it would be to minimize liability. You're not going to get any value defensively. So the value from him really comes from his bat and from his speed on the base paths. But if he is making bad decisions on the base paths and making bad decisions at the plate, I'm not saying take him out of the lineup, but maybe take him out of the leadoff spot. And I'll give you a little bit more to the argument than just he's made a lot of mental mistakes. But at this level, mental mistakes should be enough of an argument to move a guy out of the leadoff spot. Because I don't want a player in the leadoff spot that's going to be taking selfish 3-0 hacks and not even responsible 3-0 hacks. If he takes a big swing at a 3-0 fastball over the plate 
and he hits it to the warning track, I'm fine with that. You know, it is what it is. But when you take a big hack, pop it up to shallow outfield, then take another big hack and swing through a breaking ball in nearly in the dirt, that's just a problem. Because you, if you're swinging 3-0, you're looking for one pitch in one spot. You're literally picturing a fastball wherever your favorite spot for that fastball is or the favorite belt high, whatever it may be. And if it is not that pitch exactly, you shut it down and take it. And that is clearly not what VR was doing. And I don't know if that's a testament to him not seeing the ball well or him being overly aggressive, but we know he's an aggressive hitter. Here's the numbers on Jonathan VR as a leadoff hitter, even in his fantastic season last year with the Orioles. He... Played a majority of his games in the leadoff spot. Got a majority of his at-bats in the leadoff spot. Where 445 at-bats, he hit 258 in that number one spot leading off in the order. As for all other at-bats in any other spot that isn't the leadoff spot, he had just under 200 at-bats, 197. So it wasn't like it was just a small sample size. It's a decent amount of at-bats. He hit 310. 310 in 197 at-bats, batting anywhere but first in the lineup. That is a pretty dramatic difference. 258 to 310 is a pretty dramatic difference. And it seems like he's more comfortable in those aggressive types of situations. We know he has power. We know that he likes to swing and hitters counts, and that's fine. Well, maybe he should do that in the three spot or the two spot or the five spot, somewhere else, where... His speed will still play a factor, but at least the Marlins won't have to worry about a leadoff hitter that can't get on base. He's hardly walked this year, and when the Marlins are an offense that, yes, they've been good as of late, but you can't count on this offense to always just be able to piece together hits. So every hit, every base runner is going to matter, and you got to take your free passes. You really do. I know VR is probably one of the most productive hitters and one of the most capable hitters in this lineup that can impact the ball game. so I do want him to be aggressive. I don't want to stifle that aggressiveness, but at the same time, you need a leadoff hitter that's going to get on base, and he's just not doing that right now, besides the fact that he's not hitting well as is, and if last year is an example of anything, he was more comfortable hitting outside of the leadoff spot. I know it's basically half the at-bats, but it's still a large sample size. 200 at-bats is a large sample size, and that's more than enough for me to say that he is better outside of the leadoff spot than inside of the leadoff spot. So we'll see if the Marlins decide to shake that up, even beyond just the decision-making, but just because of his ability to hit in the middle of the order seems to be a little bit more of a comfort zone for him. The only problem is, who do you put in that top spot in the order? That's the question. Miguel Rojas was good last year in the leadoff spot. He could be an option when he comes back. I think Eddie Alvarez is worth a look in the leadoff spot. I really like what he brings to the table. He's not slow either by any means. He's 30 years old, but as you know, he's an Olympic speed skater. He's probably right around in like the 65th percentile in sprint speed, according to Baseball Savant, and that's going to be more than fast enough. He's a switch hitter, so he's going to be able to hit pretty situationally for you, and that might be worth a look. He had a great game yesterday, against really tough pitching, gets his first two hits, infield hits albeit, but then drives the ball really well in his third at-bat against Jacob deGrom too. This is just something that is a testament to the fact that Alvarez is always making adjustments. And as I've said earlier on previous episodes, I really like his swing. I like his approach. And I think he's a major league hitter. I really do. I'm not saying he's a future of your team type of second baseman, but look at what he's been able to do defensively too. 
Worth a look maybe in the meantime if you want to shake things up. Maybe you put John Birdie there. Birdie has been struggling, but one thing he will do is give you professional at-bats and see a lot of pitches because that's also really important too. So you want to make the pitchers work, as the Marlins did with DeGrom. You don't want to bail him out, especially when you're facing a good arm. Birdie's scrappy, he's fast, and he can give you some good at-bats. It's just a question of whether either of those guys are nearly as productive as VR. The answer is no, but the way VR is hitting right now, if you're not going to get a lot of production out of the leadoff spot and you want to wait for VR to get going, you might as well have somebody that's a little bit more sound in terms of the mental side of the game, and that's not going to make some of the mistakes that he's made. And I'm also leaving out the fact that he tried to bunt with two strikes earlier in the season and fouled it off, which is something that... If I did in Little League, my dad would have pulled me out of the game and I wouldn't have seen the field for a long time. So I just don't know how a Major League Baseball player can make that kind of mistake on top of the other mistakes I listed earlier. It's frustrating, but it all kind of makes sense when you consider that he was let go from Milwaukee, let go from Baltimore. You you have to speculate and wonder a little bit if that had to play a factor. His mental side of the game played a factor in the fact that he was a little bit overlooked and not really valued to the amount that you would expect for somebody that put up the numbers that he put up. I'm going to get into what I'm seeing from Monte Harrison in his debut so far, some good, some bad, and a quick little preview into the upcoming series, some interleague play against the Toronto Blue Jays should be a lot of fun. But first, you know I got to tell you about how helpful Postmates has been for me and how helpful it can be for you during this crazy time. Contact-free delivery from any of your favorite restaurants in the area. Just download the app, use the promo code Locked On for $100 in free deliveries for the first seven days. They don't only deliver your food, they'll also deliver groceries, anything you need from Walmart or CVS or 7-Eleven. They will bring that to your door too. Contact-free, leave it right there and you don't even have to leave the comfort of your home. That's $100 in free delivery credit using the promo code Locked On. That's one word, Locked On. When you download the Postmates app and make your account, anything you need, anytime you need it, Postmate it. So the Marlins will be heading to Buffalo for a three-game set. That is something I never thought I'd say, but as the Blue Jays are not allowed to play in Canada based on the decision by the Canadian government, they had to find somewhere to play here, and that's where they're going to play 27 of their home games, where the Buffalo Bison play, their AAA affiliate, and the Marlins, who are no stranger to traveling and still have not played a home game in Miami, will go all the way to Buffalo to play a three-game set against the Blue Jays and see if they can recapture some of that magic that they had before. Before I get into that series, real quick, just wanted to touch on Monte Harrison because I had been getting a lot of questions about him and what I've been seeing from Harrison. So it's clear Monte Harrison does not look like the Monte Harrison that he was in spring training or spring training 2.0. And we knew that strikeouts were going to be an issue maybe his entire baseball career and hopefully something that he rectifies as he goes on through his career. The 0 for 4 with 4Ks yesterday against DeGrom and Edwin Diaz. Yeah, it's a little bit concerning, but it's against DeGrom and Edwin Diaz for a player that's just getting his taste of the big leagues. For me, the the larger concern is the fact that in some hitters counts, he's still getting crowded by fastballs. And when you're in a hitter's count, you're hunting that fastball. And if you're Monte Harrison, you should definitely be hunting that fastball. And these inside heaters are just getting in on his hands. And he's, that's why even with his hits, 
you're seeing these shifts that I don't think you're going to see as many of these shifts on Harrison because they, teams are going to see that he's getting beat inside and he's inside outing these swings because he is just not able to time up his swing right now on high velocity pitchers. I'd be surprised moving into this series coming up if he really gets a chance to face Nate Pearson because Nate Pearson could probably right now, the way Harrison looks, throw three fastballs right by him and send him back to the dugout. I would not play Monte Harrison against Nate Pearson in this upcoming series. Pearson is set to pitch tomorrow the second game of the series against Jordan Yamamoto if everything follows suit, which not much has, but that's what we're going to expect, and that's the probables for now. First game of the series is going to be between Hyunjun Ryu and Elysia Hernandez. Ryu was the big prized free agent signing of the Blue Jays, was fantastic with the Dodgers last year, but seemed primed to regress a little bit. He has regressed a lot so far this year off to a slow start. We'll see if he can bounce back. He's going to try to bounce back against this Marlins lineup. He's got a 5 ERA so far this season. Hernandez looked fantastic in his first start. Went four and a third, struck out five, only walked one. As I've said in the past, I am still high on Hernandez and do think he could be a legitimate back of the rotation arm and a, and a good option. So this is an opportunity for the Marlins to see a little bit more in what they have with Hernandez. The Blue Jays lineup is sneaky tough. A lot of good young players, as you know, with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. You got Kevin Biggio, Bo Bichette, a lot of young thumpers, and it should be a fun matchup between two young teams. You just wish that the Marlins had all of their young stars that were ready to go because it would be a nice little glimpse into the future for both teams. We'll get there soon, and there's still some young players from the Marlins that'll be able to match up with the Jays this coming series. I'm very eager to see what Monte Harrison can do. I wouldn't want to keep him out of the lineup much. Nate Pearson is a unique situation where I probably keep him out. Don't want to set him up for failure, but I also want to put him out there and let him get as many at-bats as he can. DeGrom, maybe I would have kept him out there just because, and by kept him out, meaning not put him in the lineup against DeGrom, just because if he's struggling to hit fastballs right now, why put him in a situation where you think there's a good chance that he's going to K three times? That's exactly what he did yesterday. He Ks four, and I don't want to put him in those positions. Against Ryu, a softer throwing left-hander, that's where I want to really see Monte Harrison and see if he can get some comfort there and maybe have a little bit of an easier time getting the barrel out. We know how strong he is. We know how much power he has, but what good is your power if you can't get the barrel out? Right now, he's getting handcuffed. We thought that the elimination of the leg kick would help him with his timing, would stop him from being late or from cheating. Right now, he's still cheating out on those breaking balls when he's selling out for the fastball. If he's fooled, you'll see him out on his front foot. And then when he's got the fastball coming, you can tell he's getting caught in between and it gets in on his hands. And that's kind of just hitting 101 for a guy that's a little bit out of rhythm is they're caught in between. They're geared up for the fastball but can't shut it down when they see the breaking ball end up lunging at it on their front foot. And then when the fastball comes, it still surprises them enough to get in on their hands. That's kind of what's happening with Harrison. We'll see if he can adjust. Ryu could be a good opportunity for him to figure that out, but we've seen Don Mattingly like to switch it up and take hitters out after a bad game. I don't want to do that with Harrison. Throw him back out there right now against Ryu and then let him sit against Pearson given that Ryu's a much more favorable matchup. Let's see if Mattingly decides to do that. I'm sure the lineup will be out maybe by the time some of you are listening to this and should be out in the next couple hours. I'll 
I'm sure I'll be tweeting if Monte Harrison isn't in the lineup because this is a good matchup opportunity for him and a softer thrower and somebody that he can really get extended and get the barrel out on. Should be a good opportunity for the Marlins to bounce back. Hernandez tonight, Yams tomorrow. We'll see who the probable is. And the third game of the series, it's a four-game set. Marlins will be taking on the Jays in Buffalo. Excited to see Nate Pearson. As much as I don't want him to face the Marlins because of how good he can be, it'll be fun to watch what Nate Pearson can do. And I think it'll be exciting for Marlins fans to see what they'll soon see with some of their best pitching prospects like Sixto Sanchez and how exciting it is for them to get an opportunity to have a young pitcher make his debut and really prove himself as the future of the franchise in rotation. As always, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll have another one tomorrow, of course, every single day moving forward through the rest of the season. I also wanted to let you know that if you haven't been keeping up on Twitter, I have just launched as part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm also doing an MLB Prospects podcast, which is featuring all the latest from all 30 farm systems, of course, the Marlins included, where I'll get just in-depth on all 30 farm systems, interviews with players from all 30 systems, interviewed Griffin Conine, of course, son of Mr. Marlin last week. I interviewed Nick Gonzalez today. That will be out on Thursday. The Twitter account is LO underscore MLB prospects. Please give it a follow. I'd really appreciate the support. And I know Marlins fans have a huge interest in prospects and I can talk about how the Marlins prospects stack up against the rest of the league because they do stack up pretty darn well, as you know, excited to talk about prospects from all 30 farm systems. And of course, on this podcast, looking forward to continuing to talk about the Marlins as they continue to have a really impressive season. We'll see if they can get back in the win column tonight against the Jays. Thank you for listening.